Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Daydream Rose podcast. I'm really glad you're here and I'm super excited to share a beautiful conversation with Rosemary Roberts with you. We talked about our bodies and how magical they are, um, about alternatives to the pill, about body literacy and what it means to us, about that also being a part of preparing for an uncertain future. And we talked a little bit about permaculture, earth activism, and her forest school. So really, really beautiful subjects. And as you know, I've been kind of on this journey this year of really getting to know my body better. So I'm really excited um, that Rosemary is doing such beautiful work and um, about what she's sharing. She's also running an online program coming up in October and is offering listeners a 10% discount about which you can find out more in the link in the show notes. A few small announcements from me. I am so excited it's finally my season. Autumn is my absolute favorite so I feel like I'm much more in my element now. I'm settled in my new house in Scotland and I'm ready to make things again. I've been writing a lot of scenes. Leaving social media has really given me a lot of space to think and become quieter and um, kind of dream about the things that I really want to put out into the world. So I feel like there's been a big shift in energy and creative expression this summer. And yeah, I'll be emailing out free e-copies of the zines that I've been writing so far. I'm currently also trying to find a way um, to make them available in a cheap way online. So I would love to print on recycled paper, for example. And at the same time, I would love to find a print-on-demand solution um, because shipping around the world is otherwise um, both energy and expense intense and um, expensive. So yeah, I'm, I'm currently looking at options into that, but um, if you want to hear about that and when they're coming out, do sign up for my newsletter. The link for that is in the show notes as well. And then finally, next week, um, the next version of my membership program is starting. So it's called Embodied Magic, and it's a low-cost um, monthly membership with two live calls that we're doing together where we're meeting, talking about what's going on, checking with the season with our bodies, writing together, meditating a little bit, just getting to know each other. And it's really, they've been really sweet. I've been loving offering them. They, they used to be just one a month, and now um, we offer two at different time zones so that more people can join. You'll also receive recorded meditations, seasonal ritual ideas, playlists, how-to videos with simple herbal recipes, a few tarot spreads and audio recorded self-massage practice, which is my favorite. Um, those are fun, so fun to record. And then a gentle movement and journaling practice. And then there's also space over in Mighty Networks to kind of talk about um, what we're exploring together and meet other people. And that's available for all Patreon. Patrons, you can pledge on a sliding scale, 9 6 or $3 to get access, which is also supporting the podcast and makes um, free, resources, free resources available to lots and lots of other people. So thank you so much for considering that. Um, if you want to pay um, a year up front or commit to working with me one-on-one, -on -one, which is available at 80 or $333, um, including four sessions with me, you will also receive a package in the snail mail with the zines that I've written over the summer, um, and it includes a notebook that's just for the program. So yeah, I'll be posting on my website, datingrose.com, about those. Um, they should be arriving this afternoon, so I'm incredibly excited to open that box and see what the paper feels like and how the colors have come through and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, enjoy the conversation with Rosemary as much as I did and check the links in the profile. Have a beautiful day.
Hey everyone, I'm really excited to talk to Rosemary Roberts today. She has a beautiful practice called Room Sage, and we're going to talk about bodies and fertility, and um, I think a lot of other things that probably I don't have so much of an understanding of yet. I have known Rosemary through a program that we're in together, so we've been in regular sessions since uh, spring and it's just been really beautiful to witness her thoughts about growing a business and being in the world and communicating about it so I just have always loved being in a space with Rosemary and I was really excited to interview her for the podcast so hey Rosemary thank you so much for being here I really appreciate you taking the time thank you Yara it's really great to speak with you Yay. Um, as a first question, I always like to ask where you are in the world right now and what nature is like around you so that we can kind of imagine the space even as we're listening through time and space. Yeah. So um, I'm currently living um, on Patwin land in um, what is commonly called um, Davis, California. Um, it's about, it's in the southern part of Northern California. It's about a little more than an hour's drive to the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. kind of like I'm uh, northeast of the Bay Area. Um, it's very hot right now. We are in a, a unusually late heat wave. We had temperatures in the upper 90s um, Fahrenheit, which would be the upper 30s Celsius and yesterday, and we're supposed to have that again today. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we usually, usually get this in early September, but not in late September. So this is interesting. Um, I'm originally from Oregon, um, from the Willamette Valley, about nine hours drive north of where I'm living currently. Um, and I've been living here for uh, about a little over four years now. Mm -hmm. Cool. What are the trees doing outside your window? The trees, right now they are still. I think the wind is supposed to pick up, though. But um, we have a lot of interesting... Um, we have a lot of interesting trees here. We have a lot of different kinds of oak, which is interesting for me coming from the Willamette Valley. There's one oak. There's the white oak. <laughs> <laughs> and there are some 20 species of oak in Northern California, and I have not, not gotten a handle on identifying all of them yet, um, but it's my goal to get a lot better at that in the next year, as this is the last year that I'm going to be living here. Oh, wow. Okay. That is really impressive. Cool. Um, so I'm wondering how you would describe your work to someone who doesn't know it yet. Yeah, so... Um, my work is, uh, I, I, I call myself a, a full-spectrum reproductive and sexual health educator. Um, my certifications are um, reproductive sexual health educator and fertility awareness educator. Um, I also have certifications as a, a childbirth educator and a lactation educator. Um, I'm not doing as much of that work at the moment. Um, but my work focuses around um, menstrual cycle health. I teach a lot about um, menstrual cycle anatomy, physiology, what the hormones are doing. That's one of my favorite topics is just the amazing things that, that hormones do to create a menstrual cycle in people with ovaries. 
and um, it's how that all fits together. It's very, it's very, very intricate and amazing, and I love it. Um, I teach cycle tracking, so how to um, really get to know and understand what your cycle is doing, and that starts with the hormone piece. Um, but then when I when I teach, we really get into the nitty gritty of um, what's called symptothermal cycle tracking. So um, taking waking temperature and checking cervical fluid and cervical position daily. Mm -hmm. And through the information that we can glean from that, we can, on the one hand, learn so much about our hormonal health, our overall reproductive health, um, and we can also use this information to either avoid pregnancy or to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So most of the work that I do is with people who are wanting to avoid pregnancy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also do um, work with people who are wanting to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And also people who are wanting to um, just gauge their reproductive health mm -hmm. and their hormonal health. Maybe they're not in a relationship in which pregnancy is even a possibility. So that's not something that they're looking for that. Um, contraceptive piece. Um, so, um, yeah, I work on um, lots of different areas around that too. I also consult with a lot of people about um, diet and lifestyle factors that affect our hormones. Um, I do a little bit of work with herbs. Um, I, I do a little bit of that on my own, but I, I mostly do it in conjunction with herbalists, trained herbalists. I am somewhat of a lay herbalist having been studied it myself on my own for many, many years and using herbs for myself and my family. Um, but I also teach in conjunction with an herbalist friend of mine. We have a really, a really neat class series that we've created together um, called Herbs and Cycles that I really enjoyed doing. Um, that's something that we've only done in person, but maybe someday we'll do online. Um, <laughs> But the rest of my work, I do a lot of that online. Um, I do work with some in-person clients who are local to me, and I do teach classes in person. But I'd say over 75% of my um, teaching and consulting is online with people all over the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> that's so beautiful. I'm really excited that you're doing this work and that more people are making it accessible in lots of different ways and also just kind of talking more about the wide variety of options that we have available without any judgment about what might be good or better for someone. I was prescribed a pill when I was 12 and was on it for 10 years. So I feel like it was really only in my 20s that I got to know my cycle in a way. Mm -hmm. and, and only in my late 20s that I really kind of got more interested and excited about it. I'm currently reading the book Period Power which I can really recommend. It's great. And I'm just having my eyes opened all the time and, and, and obviously on a really deep, outrageous level, I cannot believe that I never knew these things. No. Um, <laughs> it's wild. I'm going to ask you something that's a big uh, overshare probably <laughs> of my listeners. I'm just really interested. So I've often heard it recommended that people check the position of their cervix but I have extremely short fingers I really can't feel mine and I have tried so many different positions it's just not often working for me but maybe when it is and when it isn't that's also a piece of information mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so that that's really interesting um 
it there there could be different things going on there. Some people's cervixes tend to be higher up in their vaginas than others. Also, depending on so one of the reasons that we check the cervix is that um, usually for most people, the cervix is lower down at the start of the cycle during bleeding mm-hmm. and um, during the early infertile time, and then the cervix raises up around like leading up to the fertile time and throughout the fertile wave and then lowers again after ovulation and then remains low for the rest of the cycle and that's one of the indications that tells us when we are in our fertile wave um but for some people depending on if if your uterus is is tipped a little bit it can actually make the cervix harder to reach mm-hmm. um so it could have to do with shorter <laughs> fingers and it could have to do with um, the position of your uterus. Yeah. Um, and have, if, if, you, if you try to feel it every day throughout an entire cycle, are you able to notice any differences? I mean, or, I can feel it yeah. sometimes, yeah. And so, but just not always. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't make it want to make it about me or like ask you for a <laughs> diagnosis at all. But I think it's an interesting illustration of how commonly we know so little like this is also there has been pretty new information to me I think this spring that cervixes move around and like really Mm -hmm. how complex this whole system is it's like magic isn't it (laughs) yeah it is it's really amazing (laughs) I'm glad my cervix made an appearance on the podcast (laughs) me too (laughs) Um, so I would love to know a little bit more about how you came to do this work did you always know this is something you wanted to do yeah, not at all. Um, I've been I've been through many <laughs> many different um, gosh my, I've been in many different directions. Um, this I suppose I mean my my involvement in reproductive health. I guess we could go all the way back to my teenage years when I you know came of age myself and started on the pill pretty, pretty early, um, didn't know there was an option. Um, I, I always say when I talk about this, I, I'm, I'm really, really grateful to my mother for taking me to see a gynecologist when I was entering, um, what looked like it could be my first sexual relationship Mm -hmm. rather than being like, no, you can't do this. My mother, took me to a doctor and helped me get a prescription for the pill. I'm grateful for, for, for her um, involvement in my life that way. And I also think I really wish that I had known that that wasn't the only option mm-hmm. at that time. And I mean, the, the issue of whether or not as a teenager, I would have been able to use fertility mm-hmm. awareness to avoid pregnancy. That's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that um, and, and I think that, you know, that depends on the person. I don't necessarily think that all teenagers should practice this. Obviously, there are other considerations, STIs, um, which fertility awareness doesn't have anything to do with. Um, but, and then later on, I learned that my mother had actually used fertility awareness to get pregnant. And I, and I asked her, like, did you did you have any idea that this could be used to avoid pregnancy? And she said, no, she didn't, didn't really. So that was an interesting, interesting conversation um, to have with her. So anyway, I was on, um, I was on the pill for 10, about 10 years also, or different forms of hormonal birth control. Um, 
as a later in my teenage years, I became aware of abortion and abortion rights and how important that was. Um, this would have been, this was in the, the late 90s, the mid to late 90s. Um, so the laws in, in the country where I live were quite a lot, quite a bit more um, liberal at that time than they are now. There've been a lot, a lot of changes since then. Um, and I remember starting to come, become aware of that. And then when I was in college, starting to get involved in um, abortion rights activism. And um, I've never myself had an unplanned pregnancy. I've never had an abortion myself. Um, but I spent um, several years working on both the, the political side and in the support and medical side um, as what is now called abortion doula. We didn't have that terminology back then, but I did spend um, a year when I was in college volunteering once a week for one day a week at a Planned Parenthood as a support to people coming in to receive abortions. And so I got to be there and experience um, first trimester abortions with the people who were there receiving them as their support. I answered their questions. I held their hands. Mm. Um, so that um, gave me a really interesting insight into a different side of it from the political activism side. Um, after that point, I, um, I mean, I, I, I kept in, involved in the abortion rights movement, um, but in terms of my own studies, I was doing various things. I um, studied anthropology. I, got, I have a master's in anthropology. Um, I moved to Canada for a while. I actually got that degree in Montreal. Um, and it was there that I found out about fertility awareness through a girlfriend, actually, um, who had dabbled in it a little bit. And she told me about the book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I was, I was at a point in my life when I was really starting to question a lot of the things that I was doing. Um, starting to get involved in um, an anarchist movement, getting involved in permaculture, um, getting involved, you know, all, all, <laughs> a lot of different things. I don't need to go into all the, the details. I love um, how shiny your face just became, though. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, and starting to, yeah, starting to, to think about why am I putting these synthetic hormones into my body just so that I don't get pregnant? Um, what else is this doing to me? Starting to become aware of what the hormones were doing on ecological terms, what the constant peeing out of mm -hmm. the leftover synthetic hormones that I was doing every day, how that is affecting waterways. Um, and some people on hormonal birth control have very strong side effects. I didn't. I didn't experience anything that was like, whoa, I really need to get off of this because it's really hurting my body in this and this and this way. That wasn't my experience. It was more of a general, like, maybe I don't want to be doing this anymore. So I stopped um, taking hormonal birth control I was, um, at this point, 
in a fairly new relationship. I guess we'd maybe been together for about a year at this point. Um, and we, I was, and we are also um, polyamorous. And so I was in, you know, a couple of relationships at this point, only one with a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was totally open to um, exploring this together, which I, this method that I had learned about from my lover. Um, and uh, so we kind of went down this path together um, and found that it was really a good, I I found that it was really, really great for me, but also for our relationship um, in terms of um, my partner's involvement Mm. in it. It wasn't just something that like when I was on hormonal birth control, it was, it didn't become, it, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't something that we talked about because we knew at all times that I was not fertile. Mm-hmm. Using fertility awareness, you go through, you get to experience your natural cycle, which has a time of fertility and times of non-fertility. And um, it was a very positive um, development in our relationship um, because it facilitated that communication about my fertility. And that's something that I often talk with um, heterosexual couples about um, is that how it can really help with communication. Um, and on, a, on, a, on an, another note, in terms of communication, I found that polyamory was also very, very positive in facilitating communication um, for us. But that's a different topic. <laughs> um, lots of it's, it's always great to have different things that facilitate communication in relationships. Yes, totally. I totally agree. And also communication with ourselves and our own bodies. I think that's really beautiful. I want to circle back one second about the abortion work that you've done and just say that that's really beautiful. I think it's such an important decision to be able to make in a really liberated, free way. And also it is so emotionally challenging and then so much harder to make that decision in an environment that's so hostile to that freedom. And so I'm so glad that you were around for people and were able to do that hand-holding. I'm sure that was really comforting. So, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Um, I think we have already touched on this a little bit, but I wonder what body literacy means to you now and maybe what, like, an access point is to you that you wish more people knew about. Yeah. So um, body literacy to me means understanding what's going on in your body in terms of your anatomy. Like on the one hand, you've got body mapping, like where everything is, how everything fits together. Um, if, if you try to draw, you know, just from your own mind, if you try to draw a picture of your internal reproductive organs, like do you know where everything is? Can you actually accurately represent the size of your ovaries in conjunction with the size of your uterus? Like, where is the cervix? You know, all these things. That's part, that's part of, of um, body literacy is understanding where everything is and fits together. And then the other part is, how does it all work? What are the hormonal changes that are happening? Um, what are the processes through which these hormones are communicating um, with 
and facilitating communication, because that's basically what hormones do, they facilitate communication between different parts of the body. Um, and how is that all fitting together? So being able to draw an accurate map and also being able to understand the accurate processes that are going on. Um, that's body literacy to me. That's, and that's a really important starting point for then understanding anything else that's going on and understanding the cycle. I think it's really, really imperative for, especially for people who are tracking their cycles for a goal, either avoiding pregnancy or getting pregnant or for troubleshooting cycle challenges, understanding reproductive health. It's so important to start with that baseline knowledge of, of the anatomy and physiology um, and what your hormones are doing and why. And then also understanding what can derail those processes. So what's, what are some environmental factors, dietary factors, um, other lifestyle factors such as increased stress, um, not enough sleep, things like that, that can derail those processes. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the other, you had two, two questions. And I, forget what um, I think, I, so yeah, the first one was what body literacy means to you now. And then the second was one, nope, second one was, was uh, do you think there's like an access point to this field of work that you wish more people knew about? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a neat question. Um, I just, I think more, I, I wish that more people were interested in learning this. And I think that if, if more people knew that it was a possibility, then they would be more interested. Because similar to what you mentioned at the beginning, um, almost everybody I talk to, they say, why didn't I know this? Why didn't I... Why wasn't I taught this when I was starting my period or even before, or, you know, when I was being put on hormonal birth control for completely non birth control related um, reasons, like so many people um, when they're starting their menstruation um, have irregular cycles, which is actually completely normal in the first few years after Menarche, it's very, very normal to have irregular cycles. And I've talked to so many people who were put on hormones to regulate their cycles. And I'm, I'm using air quotes, I guess I, I should say that um, verbally because the visuals won't come through in the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm using air quotes there because hormonal birth control does not regulate a cycle. It suppresses and takes over with synthetic hormones. So it's, it's completely backwards way of thinking, I think, to, to use synthetic hormones, hormone therapy at all, to regulate a cycle because you're not actually having a cycle when you're on hormones. You're, you're having something, you're having synthetic hormones in your system every day and depending on the type of hormonal birth control it's either a synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone together the same amounts every day or some versions have differing amounts and some have progestin only so there are different configurations of hormonal birth control but if you're on one that that is not a long-acting one um, 
then you're going to be having um, 21 days of hormones and then a week of no hormones, during which time you will bleed. But it's not really a real menstrual period because you need to have ovulated in order to have a menstrual period. So in the cases when it's part of a hormonal cycle, it's actually a withdrawal bleed where you've been feeding your system with all these hormones and then the sudden um, lack of those, of those hormones causes your uterine lining to shed. So, and then you start it all up again after a week. So it's this um, chemically controlled cycle that is not at all the same thing as a menstrual cycle where we have natural um, ebb and flow of these hormones. Mm. So I think if more people understood that, um, there would be a lot more interest in learning more about what's going on um, because so many people I talked to are just really, really floored at this. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really glad that more people are, are getting interested in this. It's, it's, really, it's really great to see. Um, and I also think that there are, there are so, many other, so many other barriers to learning this information. There are social barriers, there are economic <coughs> barriers, there are, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, the majority, at least in, in this country, the majority of people doing this work are middle-class, white, cis women. Um, and that's another barrier, the barrier to people who don't identify with our people of color um, who are looking for people who represent their experience more in this work. Um, I might, you know, as much as I might like to be open and accessible to all people, I recognize that as a cis white woman, I am the face of normalcy or conventional, you know, the conventional image in this field, and I might not appear accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, that brings, into, brings us into a, a, an, another, another topic that um, reproductive justice is a really, really important part of my work um, as, and something that I, that I do in um, various ways, including in the um, Association of Fertility Awareness Professionals, the professional organization that I'm a part of. Um, I'm a part of the Reproductive Justice Committee, and we are working on a lot of ways to try to make this work more accessible to people of color, um, people with disabilities, um, people who don't identify as cis women. Um, so yeah, that's, a, that's, I think, a really important piece of this too, is um, that this work needs to be more accessible and available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for naming that and doing that work. That makes me feel hopeful for the future of this field. And yeah, well, I mean, yeah, totally. Um, I want to circle back on what you said about um, the barriers as well, because I <clears throat> totally agree with what you said. And I think because we're talking a lot about embodiment in this podcast and really gentle ways um, of kind of moving closer to that in a way that's possible, I really needed so many years in my 20s to 
very gently explore my body. And I know many people like myself that are survivors who have a really hard time even being curious about that part of their bodies. And I think that was really true for me too. There was a real sense of dissociation and I really care about naming that. I find that to be such a valid tool to deal with like a really difficult situation. Um, that was definitely true for me. So I'm not rejecting this part of myself that once needed to be very dissociated from that part of my body. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm just kind of like also saying that also meant that it took me longer than I wish it had in some ways to be able to explore that. And now that I have given myself that space, it can come in a really natural way. And it's much more possible to really take the information in and not check out and, and begin to draw this image that you talked about in the beginning about what does this actually look like inside myself? And it's mm -hmm. fun to think about and really beautiful. I'm just um, really feeling heartened and excited that there are people out there like you who make this work more accessible so yeah thank you and thank you for mentioning that it is it is another really really important um piece of of this work that it it can be challenging for survivors to come into this work and it can also be very healing and i have i have worked with some um survivors of sexual assault and sexual abuse who have um expressed that it has been incredibly healing mm -hmm. for them. And, and I always, um, I, I always try to give space to talking about that. If the people I'm working with would like to talk about that. Mm -hmm. and, um, I think that is really, really important. Um, and I want to be aware of, of everybody's needs because everybody is coming from a different, from a different place and a different perspective. Yeah, and you're totally right. It can be so healing if it comes from a place that's like um, very intentional and in the pace of the person. I'm massaging my boobs almost every single day now, for example, and I'm learning about breast tissue and how it's all um, related to lymph. And it's such a huge contrast to how I saw my chest as a teenager in my early 20s as really just this weird part of my body I was so disconnected from that was for the visual consumption of men, mainly. And in my relationship to my breast could not be more different now. And it's so beautiful to sit at my altar every day and massage them with oil that I have infused myself and to really just make that my own. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> um, I, um, whew, I have so many more questions. I'm just thinking about what should I ask next. Um, you also trained in earth activism and permaculture, and I wonder how that's weaving into this work. So you've, you've touched already on, for example, the issue with the hormones that, that were kind of peeing into the water all the time. And I wonder if, if there's more to that in the intersection of these two things. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an area that I'm actually working on a lot right now um, is trying to find more connections here. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned before, I do have a background in permaculture um, and it's not something that I have done very actively in recent years. Um, though it's, it is, I feel like it's something that informs a lot of the things that I do on a regular basis. Um, and 
in terms of like weaving the two together, I'm, I'm working on um, putting together a curriculum um, that kind of, that brings permaculture, permaculture design principles into body literacy and fertility awareness. And um, I am not quite sure all the ways in which that is going to come together yet, um, but it's something that I've been working on for a while. And there's a lot to say, I think, in the, um, there, I guess one way to put it is there, there is a lot of, of reflection that can be done between the two. Um, for one, one of the permaculture principles is um, observing, uh, going into a new space and observing what's already going on there, rather than just saying like, we're gonna plant this here and this here and this here. The first step is observing and taking it in, taking in what's already there and really being with the space. And I think that's similar to looking at what's going on inside your body and being with the space of your body and observing. We do a lot of deep, deep observation in permaculture and in fertility awareness. Um, we're learning to work with the patterns that are already going on rather than trying to impose new patterns. So there are, um, that's, you know, just a couple of, of examples, um, but I think there are a lot of ways in which um, body literacy, fertility awareness, and permaculture principles um, mirror each other. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, the, the side of um, the more activist side of, and just the, the side of like looking at what's, what's happening in our world with climate change, um, species extinction, um, drastic changes in weather patterns, um, drinking water shortages, these things that have been going on in many parts of the world for a long time and I think are finally catching up in, um, well, in like the, the area where, where, where I live, here on the west coast of the United States, we have a lot of um, geographic privilege in that we're not seeing, we haven't been seeing as many changes up until recently as some parts of the world have been experiencing um, much more drastic storms, flooding, um, incredible drought. We have had some drought here, um, but aside from that, and then, you know, there's been this um, increase in wildfires, at least last year was a pretty big one for wildfires. Um, so we're starting to see this a little bit, um, but in general, we still have um, a lot of geographic privilege right here with a more um, mild, mitigated climate. Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> um, I guess just to, to say that um, climate change is becoming more real to more people, I think, now mm -hmm. than it was before. So more people are realizing the global changes 
that are happening because more people are experiencing it firsthand, whereas before um, a lot of people in places where the climate was more mild, where climate change seemed to be more mild, weren't experiencing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, and so I think for more people are starting to think about things like how our hormones are polluting the waterways. Um, on a political level, there's a lot of uncertainty right now, at least in the United States, about access to other forms of birth control. Um, access to abortion. It's, it's very, 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 very hard to access abortion in many parts of this country right now. Um, and that could be um, becoming more widespread. Um, prescription birth control is very, very expensive here if you don't have just the right insurance mm. to cover it. Um, insurance is becoming more expensive and harder to access for a lot of people. Then there's the question of, um, of societal collapse and what that is going to look like over the coming years and decades. Mm -hmm. There's so much that we don't know. And so I feel like this work is really important on a political level. Um, and on a, um, a health level, on an environmental level, and also on, if you will, a survivalist level. Um, because at some point, you know, wh whether that's in my lifetime or the lifetime of my children, the things that we take for granted, the access to healthcare. Um, medications, including um, prescription um, pharmaceuticals like birth control pills, we might not have that. Mm. We most likely will not have that at mm -hmm. some point in not too long. Mm -hmm. So um, having more information about other ways to do this, I think is really, really important. And that also brings me to another, another point, um, if I can go on a little tangent. Yes. Um, I think it's also really important to acknowledge that this type, of, this type of knowledge, this information, is not really new. It's new to us right now because it was taken away from us. I think we, we, we don't really have any way of knowing how much our ancestors knew about controlling their fertility. But we can assume that they knew a lot more, that our great, 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 great grandmothers probably knew a heck of a lot more mm -hmm. than our mothers and grandmothers did. Mm -hmm. Because that information um, was largely in the hands of midwives and herbalists and um, women who were practicing their own fertility management through um, tracking their cycles in ways that are, you know, maybe not quite as technical as what we do now. Um, they didn't have digital thermometers, <laughs> but they had other ways of, of knowing and understanding when they were fertile. And I also want to say I use the word women in this context. I, I, I use 
I, when I'm talking to people now um, and about people who menstruate and who have the capacity to menstruate and to ovulate, I use um, gender inclusive and neutral terminology. But I, I do tend to use um, more gender terminology when I'm talking about more historical um, aspects because I do want to highlight that the bulk of the burden of um, fertility management has historically been on women and because it historically has been um, women who have been the keepers of this knowledge, the, the midwives, the herbalists, um, the witches. And mm -hmm. this brings us, yeah, back to the, this rupture when this information was taken away. And a lot of that has to do with um, the massacre of witches and um, that huge, huge rupture in the ability to pass this knowledge down through our matrilineal lines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a little redundant to say. Um, and then after the, the time, after the, the burning times, the, the massacre of witches, there were still some who held this information and pieced bits of it back together. And then in the mid to late 1800s, there was the huge rise of the male medical system that again, created another rupture, took this information away um, as, as these male doctors, and I'm using air quotes again because I forget the, the, you know, exactly when, but it was by, the, night, by the, the late 1800s or early 1900s, only a tiny percentage of these men who were calling themselves doctors actually had any formal medical training. They were starting to, um, you know, create all these, these um, really, really negative um, images of midwives. Um, in hopes of getting the getting their clients to come and start having their babies in these hospitals, which at the time were actually really unsafe places to have babies. This is a whole other topic that we could, you know, I'm 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 not going to go into it too much more. But anyway, there have been throughout history multiple ruptures in um, the sharing and spreading and disseminating and passing on of this information. Mm -hmm. And I am sure that a long time ago, our ancestors had a lot of this information and it was taken away. It was taken away again. And now we, in the, for the past 60, 70 years, um, people mostly, um, largely um, doctors and scientists have been piecing it back together. Mm -hmm. And the current, our current understanding of fertility awareness um, at its most effective, which I should probably talk about that too in a moment, um, is based on the last several decades of piecing this information together from what we can measure with scientific studies, with observation, looking at what happens during ovulation with ultrasound, looking at the different changes um, in our bodies that are taking place over the course of a menstrual cycle. This has all been studied on a very scientific level in the last several decades. And 
that's exciting. Um, and it's giving us a lot of a lot of data, a lot of really important information. And on one level, it's not new. That was the point I wanted to make with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I also totally agree. It's really exciting, and I want to learn more about it. But it doesn't tell me how I connect with my body and how I make magic in a tea and how I learn about plants and bring that into my own space. So I feel both these contributions are so important and beautiful and I don't want to um, let them be a binary, if that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> You're also running a forest school, which is so cute and exciting. I would love to hear what a day in a forest school looks like. Yeah, sure. So, um, I guess to, I need to back up a little bit with this because there is something that I, I haven't mentioned. I guess I was starting to talk about earlier. I was talking about my entry into this world of fertility awareness. And then we kind of got on to other, other, <laughs> other topics. Um, but I do want to back up before I talk about the forest school um, because the forest school is intricately linked to my children. And I haven't mentioned my children yet. <laughs> um, so in terms of my own personal practice of fertility awareness, I've been practicing it for a little over 10 years. Um, I could go back and look at my first charts, but I think it was about 11 or 12 years ago. Um, and I used fertility awareness to avoid pregnancy for several years. And then my partner and I decided we were ready to get pregnant. And so I was able to use the same tools, flip them around and get pregnant quickly. Um, and then use it again to avoid pregnancy and then a few years later, again, to get pregnant again, and now using it to avoid pregnancy again. Um, so I have two children. They are almost seven and three. And um, that, so that is the entryway into the forest school bit. Um, I, I have for many years been, you know, very passionate about um, outdoor education and before having children did work a little bit with um, outdoor education for kids. And then since having children, it's just been a really important part of our family life is spending a lot of unstructured time in the wild or in as close to wild as we can get. Um, and when we moved to Davis um, four years ago for my partner to start a PhD program um, at the university here, that's why we're living here, um, and why it's temporary. Uh, one of the first things we did, we at that point had an almost three-year-old and we were looking for a forest school. That was our first choice in terms of, of schooling. And there wasn't anything in the area and we were pretty disappointed. Um, we ended up finding um, a Waldorf school locally that is kind of similar in some ways. They really prioritize outdoor education in the early childhood section. So we really have enjoyed that. Um, both, both kids are there right now. Um, but then a couple of years ago, I heard about somebody starting up a forest school program and I was so excited. Um, so I had my older child, whose name is actually Yarrow, um, in the program the first time, the first session that they, that they were open and we really loved it. It was really wonderful. And then um, the woman who started it had to move away pretty suddenly after 
completing two sessions, two seasons of that program. And I really didn't want the program to die. So I said, I would love to be involved in helping to keep it going. And she was basically like, okay, here you go, and handed the program over to me. So I've been running it for um, about a year now. And it's been really a great experience. I'm doing a lot more administrative website um, work than I had, than I really felt like I was competent to do. Um, but it's been a big learning experience. Um, and I've been growing the program. We started off only one afternoon per week. And now we're at two afternoons per week. And we have a really long waiting list. So I'm going to be trying to expand it. Um, but basically what it is at this point is a drop-off program um, for four to seven-year-olds. And this fall session, which will be starting um, in a few weeks now, we have a section that's for slightly older kids to up to 10 um, for the first time. And we meet in an area that's just at the edge of town. Um, it's a riparian area along a creek. It's kind of the, the wildest place we can find um, near here. Davis is um, very flat, completely surrounded by agricultural area. It's a huge agricultural part of the country. Um, so it's hard to find wild spaces here. So this is as best as we can get. And it's, it's pretty lovely. It's a, a few miles of hiking trail in a riparian area. And there's some water access spots where we can wade into a, a very low and calm creek. And there are trees to climb and um, dirt hills to climb and slide down logs to turn over to look for snakes and lizards, <laughs> um, millipedes, birds to learn about, plants to learn about. So um, you asked what, what an actual day is like. Um, we start off with a little opening activity where we make sure everybody knows, knows each other's names. We usually sing a song, share a little snack, and then we go over our, our rules for safety, which is things like staying together. And if anybody, if anybody um, gets a, apart from the rest of the group, we howl like coyotes. <laughs> and the kids love to practice that. That's their, their favorite. I think one of their favorite parts of the day is getting to practice howling like coyotes. Um, and that is really fun to do if, if, if they're if we do get spread out when we're on our path and some people get around a corner and other kids realize they can't see the others, they'll just start to go, Oh, <laughs> oh that's we so find cute. each other again. Yeah. So that's, that's really fun. We talk about what to see, what, what to do if we see a snake, mm -hmm. um, which is, hasn't actually happened yet. Um, but there are rattlesnakes in the area. So we just remind kids to just, be calm and slowly back away. I love um, calm. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. And then we just, we, we, we take a walk. Mm -hmm. um, we go at a, a, a young kid walking pace. Mm -hmm. And we stop where they want to stop, um, explore what they want to explore. Sometimes we read a book. I often bring a picture book along that has some sort of nature theme, especially if, I look for, for books that have images of um, 
plants and animals that we actually have here mm -hmm. um, in our local area rather than in somewhere else, which is hard because so many books for kids have cardinals and blue jays, and we don't have cardinals and blue jays out here on the West Coast. <laughs> so that's always something that I have to, to look really carefully for because most of the children's books about nature that are published in this country are East Coast centric. Yeah. Um, which is kind of frustrating being on the West Coast, but there are more and more kids' books that do have West Coast imagery. Um, and yeah, sometimes we, we play a, a game, like a, a nature awareness version of tag or a game where kids are learning how to walk silently, what we call fox walking, where they move their feet in such a way that they can walk very, very silently and they try to sneak up on their friends. And, uh, but we, I have found, it's interesting, when I first started running this program, I had these grand ideas for all this nature awareness learning to happen. And I found that the kids really just want to explore and play on their own time. And mm -hmm. so we do 75 to 80% just free exploration. Mm -hmm. And then bring in these other activities like reading a book or doing a game when the time seems right and when they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I really wish I could come. <clears throat> Thank you so much for everything that you have shared. I wonder if people are excited, which I can't imagine they, they wouldn't be, about your work and wanting to find out more. Can you tell us what you're currently offering and where people can find you? Yeah. So um, I, my, my website is <clears throat> wombsage, W-O-M-B-S-A-G-E.com. And um, I am, as, as we have talked about in other contexts, <laughs> I am light on social media. I, 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 I have an a interesting relationship with social media. I don't like to be on it very much. So I am on Instagram and I am on Facebook as Womb Sage, but I don't post very much. Um, I am currently about to start a class series um, an online class series on learning to use fertility awareness um, geared at people who are wanting to um, avoid pregnancy, wanting to use it for avoiding pregnancy, um, and also increase body literacy. And that is, I have two sections of that. I'm, I'm trying this out with two different sections running concurrently, hoping to reach the greatest number of, of people with these two different schedules. So one is going to be on um, Wednesday mornings, Pacific time, um, starting October 23rd. And the other is on Sunday afternoons, also Pacific time, um, starting November 3rd. And those are running for one of them. They're slightly different schedules. One is running for six weeks and the other is running for five weeks. Um, and all that information is, is on my website. Um, and I also work one-on-one -on -one with clients. And this is most of my work right now is done this way. And I have a package that includes three different meetings, either in person if the people are local to me or online. Um, and I offer um, unlimited email support in between our meetings um, and a, a number of other things. So the details for that um, are on my website. And um, I would really love to see some 
listeners of your podcast in my class. And I would like to offer that anybody who finds out about my class through this podcast, I would love to offer a 10% discount on the price of my class. So um, for listeners who are interested in doing this, if you register, just mention that you heard about this on this <laughs> podcast in, in the registration form, and I'd be happy to um, apply a 10% discount to the overall um, price of that. Um, I also offer payment plans. Um, I'm really, I, I, I really want to work with people with, you know, whatever is the best way. I have a need to um, financially support my family. And um, I also want this to be accessible. So I am always open to discussion, payment plans, alternatives, Mm-hmm. You know, whatever works for for the for the people who really want to um, do this work is what I, you know. I I I want to work with people on this. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. That's really generous. I will link to everything in the show notes, um, and even pe- if people listen to this some further time in the future, they should still check your website out because you maybe might do it again next year or they can work with Mm. you one-on-one. And so, yeah, but we're recording this in September. And yeah, I hope lots of people will check the class in October and November out. That sounds beautiful. Rosemary, thank you so much for telling you, telling so much about your story and illustrating so much of what makes this work so beautiful and magical and empowering. I'm really excited to share it because I I feel... um, uh, yeah, I feel like I want to be on this mission with you of like getting more people excited about it. It's so powerful and so important. And yeah, so thank you so much for sharing and for making the time. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. It's been really nice talking with you. Thank you. Thank you.